The Third Men Podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun celebration of Jack White and is in no way directly affiliated with Third Man Records or the man himself. For the definitive history of Jack White and his music, please consult your local Jack White. And for everyone else looking for a home, you found one here, in a place so seedy. Enjoy! listen to a White Stripes record, there's a lot of different types of songs and personalities happening. Your brain starts to forget there's only two people doing it. About, um... Yeah, you you alright? Yeah. Good. I think the biggest misconception is probably that every single thing about the White Stripes is premeditated. The music is really completely in charge of us. Festival you've brought me to is very, very highbrow. Mmm, mmm, it's the tops. Mmm, taste the caviar. Simply divine. The brow is so high, it is kissing my hairline. They're making out. That's how high the brow is. Ooh, how scandalous. At this festival of ours. What are we celebrating? Before we get to all of that... Is there something I should be smelling? Well, no. Before we... I was trying to figure out a name for you. Before we get to all of that, Terhampson, we should really pick out what films we're seeing at this festival. Mmm. Yes, indeed, Rockstafella. <laughs> it's almost Rockefeller, but it has an S in it. And Terhampson is just gibberish, but... Anyway, I was thinking about seeing the one a kitten story in fascist Japan, and it's a morality tale. It's called... It sounds simply humorous. It's, it's hilarious. And it's called... Die... Die... Hard. <laughs> yes, it's a play on that, but it's really using the German die... So it is the Die Hard, and it's a, it's the original 
Do you are yes. you familiar with the original, or oh. do you know only know the schlocky Hollywood version? No, no, I I am very familiar with the original. I'm looking forward greatly to the the tale of the lonely child who sucks in helium from his birthday balloons. It's it sounds just ever so quaint. It's called. It's called Suck on This, a child's story. <laughs> yes, yes, of course. All of these films sound wonderful. Uh, Terwilliger, I think uh, the last film I'd like to add to our festival. Yes, for Wumpskins. That's your new name. To our festival. I guess. To our festival viewing is going to have to be Under Great White Northern Lights. It's a film <laughs> about several. Um, Caucasian stripes. <laughs> I hear they got trapped in the Canadian winter. All right. Well, that's been that. Um, that was a film festival thing. I, I would shudder to think what the reviews would say about that. Uh, I am uh, Paul Kaminsky. I'm your co-host of this, uh, the Third Man podcast. We're a Jack White history podcast, and I'm joined by... Oh, yeah. Uh, your other co-host, James Kaminsky. Yeah, James... This week, very special. We've never done this before. I'm freaking out about it over here. I'm abs- I'm losing my damn mind. Yeah. We are doing. We are concluding our epic three-part series on the film, the tour, the album, the project that was under Great White Northern Lights. An unprecedented three-part episode. Hopefully, this won't turn into a four-part. I don't think it will, Paul. But. We are concluding it today. We've already gone over the tour. We're now going to go over the documentary and the CD and the package and all that. And we're also going to review with our traditional reviewing system. And yeah, it'll be a a nice little conclusion to this three-part episode. Yeah. About this Canadian tour. It's going to be just lovely. And uh, there's going to be lots to talk about. If you haven't listened to the previous two episodes, I would encourage you go back, listen to episodes 49 and 50 of the podcast about mm. Under Great White Northern Lights. It will give you a broader uh, perspective on the actual project release we're going to be discussing here. But before we get to all of that, James... Is there something we've got to stop doing, Paul? Oh, no, there is. we got to stop a break of It's a stop a break of down. Stop breaking down. You know, it, it may seem that we're a never-ending knowledge pit sometimes. Clearly, we've been able to come up with three different Canadian skits mm-hmm. for the intros of these programs. They've all been winners. All of them. Uh, and the information, almost always impeccable. But it has come to our attention that we've gotten something wrong, and that's why we have this segment here, Stop Breaking Down. When we get something wrong in the podcast, you, the listener, can tell us, uh, the hosts, and we will address the incorrect information and we'll uh we'll correct it here in the podcast in this segment we like to call stop breaking down so paul yeah what did we get wrong this week uh this one was like a real glaring dumb one last week in episode 50 of uh the podcast we did a third man segment and a uh, a fell in love with a show where we detail shows that we've seen with a uh, special guest and our guest was uh mr andrew marino anyway 
I was recounting a story I had where I met the South City 3's guitarist prior to the Pokey Lafarge concert, James. Do you remember this? I do. It was just last week. Yeah. So <laughs> I said that the guy's name was Ryan Koenig because I was looking at the back of the Chitlin Cooking Time in Cheatham County Blue Series, and I could have sworn that Ryan Koenig was listed as guitarist, and I got confused, and I don't know the South City 3 all that well. And I, anyway, long story short, I wasn't talking to Ryan Koenig at all. I was talking to Adam Hoskins which Callie Durga pointed out on our Facebook page when she was uh, giving us her feedback for the episode. She pointed out that uh, if I was talking to the South City 3's guitarist, I would have been talking to Mr. Adam Hoskins. Mm, yes, and that would make it this week's uh, triple screw-up. Uh, because you you not only didn't recognize him at the show, yeah. <laughs> you, you failed to recognize him in the yeah. podcast. The story was I was trying to get Pokey's a, f- a photo with Pokey, and he and I spoke, and he's like, I don't think you're going to be able to do that. And I was like, all right, yeah, whatever. And then as it turns out, he was in the band, and so that was the story. And so anyway, not only did I not recognize him, I didn't have the right name when I was even talking about it. Let me attempt to rectify this a moment by reading you selections from www.lightninghoskins.com slash music one slash projects. Not only does he list Pokey Lafarge here, but he lists something called Maximum Effort. And the description of that is, Maximum Effort is not just a band. It's an awareness group. Spreading the truth about conspiracies, government cover-ups, and social injustices since 2007, Maximum Effort has been informing the masses one show at a time. With several vinyl and cassette releases, Maximum Effort has done its part. Have you? I think so. And so anyway, you can purchase that on lightninghoskins.com. Also, he has listed here Lonesome Cowboy Ryan and his dried-up teardrops. The description of that being Lonesome Cowboy Ryan, St. Louis's own Ryan Koenig, has been playing his brand of country since 2005. He has countless recordings, yada, yada, yada. And I guess uh, Lightning Hoskins is playing for, uh, for his old South City buddy, Ryan Koenig who is releasing an album later uh, this year, I believe. So looks like Adam Lightning Hoskins is keeping busy, and I'm so sorry I uh, got confused there, and I will never do it again, and I should really stop a brick and down. You should stop a brick and down. So, Paul. Mm. Are you ready to get into this here episode? Light it up, James. Let's get in to those great northern lights. Uh, so, Paul, to sum up the, the last two episodes for those people who have not listened, Jack and Meg conceived a tour for their new Icky Thump record that would bring them to every single province and territory in Canada. They Something dreamed that, a dream. <laughs> they, and they dreamed big. It's the second largest uh, country in the world, I believe. I believe so. And if you believe it, Paul, it's bound to be real. (laughs) (laughs) They decided to do this, and they were the first to do this. Not even a Canadian band has toured every single province and territory in one go. To quote Jack White, should I do my Jack? I'll do my accent. The idea was there was this gigantic frontier right next to where we grew up in Detroit uh, that is just so untouched by our band, let alone bands in general. So basically, throughout the tour, they would stop in each province, play a big show, and then they also decided to play a series of free 
what they called B shows, which were kind of little side shows along the way. And we went through all of those in the last episode. Another quote from Jack, we'd make up an idea at breakfast of where we'd play that day, whether it was on a boat, bus, school, or city park, then we'd make it happen. We didn't pre-plan it. I don't like to do that too much because I think it ruins things. Uh, so that's a quote from Jack. Now that should be very familiar to Jack White fans, that particular quote, because as we remember from going over the Blunderbuss tour where Jack was on his own trying to recapture the spirit of the White Stripes, mm. Jack would not let band members of the Buzzards and the Peacocks, the male and the female band, know if they were playing that night or not until around brunch or noontime. <laughs> so... This man has a real putting on his thinking cap around breakfast time situation happening uh, when it comes to w- deciding how they're going to conduct themselves on a tour. Hey, Swank, give me a scone, some orange juice, and a list of fun activities to do in Canada, particularly Alberta. I would also like 23 bowls of berry berry kicks. <laughs> I would like a bowl of tricks as well, but only the lemons. <laughs> I would like several waffles. However, I would not like to eat the actual substance of the waffle. I would like to eat the hollow squares only. (laughs) Swank? Somehow pour syrup on those hollow squares. It is the absence of matter, Swank. Read a book. It's a challenge. Swank? Lego my ego. Swank? (laughs) Anyway, so during the the series of of small bee shows and touring of Canada and all this other stuff, a film crew tagged along with Jack and Meg throughout they filmed basically everything which created rumor and buzz around the shows and around canada because everybody was seeing this film crew people didn't know what it was people were speculating it was a documentary people were speculating it was some kind of thing for the 10th anniversary which uh, was was to happen in nova scotia during the tour as we talked about last episode some people thought it was just for music videos there was a lot of speculation we didn't really hear much on that front until around mid-2009 when jack during an interview with self-titled magazine he said then there's some other stuff i can't tell you about but other Ooh. pretty big records. Then also, Third Man Films. The White Stripes are releasing a film this year. And when I go back home in a few days, I'm going to mix all the music for that, which is like 40 songs. So that's going to take a lot of time. And so with that, the tour was over and the documentary begins. We get a, the announcement that the White Stripes are releasing under Great White Northern Lights as a, as a documentary. And we can get into that. It all started well before the tour. Jack had decided to do the tour, he had announced it, and he was filming the video for Icky Thump with director Emmett Malloy, who was director of Icky Thump, uh, the music video, and he was talking with Jack about the tour. He had worked previously with Jack White on videos uh, like My Doorbell, and then he would also work with him on the video for You Don't Know What Love Is, You Just Do As You're Told. And uh, Mm. while working on the video during downtime, they were talking and apparently Emmett suggested that Jack might want to film some of this because it was an interesting thing uh, to quote Emmett. Jack was telling me about the tour, these parts of the world that were really interesting. The fact that it was their 10th anniversary and I told him, you guys should really have somebody film that. That's too good to pass up. And apparently he wasn't even referring to himself necessarily. He was just thinking somebody should film that. Not necessarily me. Um, <laughs> that's interesting. So it was it was from an outside uh, suggestion. Mm-hmm. That's very interesting. I didn't consider that. Also, uh, by the way, real quick side note on Emmett Malloy, his other directorial credits include work with Crazy Town, <laughs> The Black Eyed Peas, Lit, Blink-182, Metallica, mm-hmm. 
Oasis, Jack Johnson, and those are all the funny ones. <laughs> yeah, he's he is a well-known music video director. He did a lot of music videos and also a lot of surfing videos, apparently. That is a really narrow expertise, but yeah. hey. I mean, he's, he's also directed a few rock documentaries. He's a part of a team. His brother does directing as well. So now the tour was to become a documentary, and... Emmett Malloy was to become the director. This was an already large-scale caravan of people mm-hmm. plowing into the Arctic, pretty much, yeah, <laughs> and doing an already challenging tour, uh, and it became even larger scale and even more challenging because this is now a tour housing an entire documentary film crew as well. Right, and thank God they brought Liam Neeson along to fight the wolves off. (laughs) And Leonardo (laughs) DiCaprio to fight the bears off and win an Oscar for it. This group that started out driving an old beat-up van that the Flaming Lips would so readily talk about probably stank, (laughs) now has reportedly four buses and three semi-trucks to carry it into the Arctic, if those places have roads even. And if they don't, then they have to have auxiliary crews and all these other things. So this is a really huge, large-scale project, getting all this equipment and people to these places. I mean, part of the reason why they weren't touring those remote locations in Canada was it was tough to get all the touring equipment up there, and so now they're doubling their supply load, basically. So it was already tough to get things up to Saskatchewan or wherever, but now it's (laughs) doubly so. Exactly. And the hotels were already booking up because, you know, people were coming in from outside of these places to go see these shows because they don't have a lot of chances to. So it's hard to even get places for the crew to live. Right. Malloy had said, uh, I think their biggest fear in life is to be normal. They don't want to play a round of dates at all the typical spots. Places like Iqaluit lived up to the expectations. Getting out of the plane there felt like we were on the moon, and certainly meeting the elders <laughs> there. That's the closest I've ever come to feeling like, wow, these people do live in igloos. <laughs> and the camera crew pretty much followed them around doing pretty much everything throughout the entirety of the tour. So the the line of, of what to film and what not to film was, was drawn and, and actually broken pretty early on. Jack and Meg were a little reluctant to do it at first. And Emmett Malloy was saying, the first show ended and we headed backstage with the cameras and the door got shut in my face. I was like, well, okay, that's just the way it is. I guess. But the next night, I stuck my foot in the door and kicked it open a bit. And the next thing you know, I was in there. Jack's a filmmaker himself, and he knew that whatever he didn't like, he could edit out. And that allowed me to film everything. But everything that I felt to be interesting, every personal moment, was allowed to be a part of this film. Wow. I don't know who Emmett's kidding. Jack wouldn't edit anything out ever. Uh, That's part of his (laughs) mantra in The White Stripes. I don't know. As much as he talks about not being manufactured, his stuff is definitely heavily edited and manufactured it's more about capturing the spirit of a thing i i'm just happy that this filmmaker was not deterred by that terseness and uh, emmett mm-hmm. persevered and actually followed through on it and pushed the envelope and i'm sure jack respected that as an artist you know yeah i think that it was a bold choice that he had to make and i'm glad he did it, it made for a better film and it made for some more intimate moments which we'll get into in a, in a minute so that that kind of spontaneity allowed for an interesting movie and the movie probably allowed for a more interesting tour they kind of worked in tandem mm-hmm. the stripes and their crew were pretty much front page news throughout most of these towns like we talked about in the last two episodes must have been incredibly expensive and i imagine that having you know just from a purely monetary point of view having the 
advantage of being able to monetize an album and a documentary film about mm -hmm. this uh, must have helped not only artistically, but must have helped reclaim some of the money that was sunk into what sounds like an increasingly expensive and semi-dangerous tour. Yeah, and Jack has, has even talked in interviews about the expense of this tour even before the documentary was, was planned. He fully expected to not break even. You know, he expected to lose money on this. <laughs> he wasn't, like, out there trying to make a huge profit from this I, no one who goes to none of it is yeah. expecting to make a huge profit unless you're some kind of gold miner <laughs> panhandling gold do you know why he did it james why because he had nothing better to do <laughs> i'm glad he didn't have something better to do so Malloy had said, uh, we were rolling into towns where a lot of people didn't know who, who they were, what was going on. They just knew something big was going on in their small town. And I think Jack and Meg knew that. Even in the documentary, someone quizzes Meg on what type of music they even make. And Meg says, you guys are in a, let's put it, you're, you're innovative with your music. Is it just words or instruments or what? That some people you say you play odd stuff or you sing odd stuff? You do, there's something odd about you. That's all. We're like a rock and roll band, but there's only two of us. So that's, that's a little odd, I suppose. <laughs> but you don't use odd instruments, or you just... No? Not really. No. Yeah. Just make a lot of noise for people, I guess. <laughs> Which is an adorable quote. <laughs> yes, they were in a car, and yeah, 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 yeah. It's a, yeah. The scenes where she talks are really an insightful window into her whole deal. Because we don't really get mm -hmm. a lot of Meg talking. Right, um, and... Which comes into play in the film, anyway. Exactly, and that actually brings me to the dynamic that you get to see in this film of between Jack and Meg. It's put on full display, and it, people scrutinized it because Jack is so outgoing and kind of gives Meg a hard time for being quiet and shy throughout. I think at one point he even tells her to speak up, or they sometimes put subtitles when she's talking because she's so yep. quiet. Yep. And Meg kind of seems dazed and in another place throughout a lot of the movie. You know, she's smoking a cigarette looking wistfully out a window through like half of it yeah through a lot of it yeah and so a lot's going on in her mind you know a lot's a lot's happening between the two of them and their relationship what we see sometimes in the ultra famous or the people who live their lives at the speed that the white stripes were at that point in time is an acceleration of time in a way because you know like you look at it with the beatles too like they were together for they were a band proper for you know about a decade and mm -hmm. in that time, they, they sell more than most people do in a lifetime. You might be able to say something similar of Jack and Meg, although on a smaller scale. It was only three years or four years prior to this that Seven Nation Army was coming out. So they, they're still pretty fresh rock band at this point in time, but it feels like so much time has passed because the heights of which they were propelled into success are so exaggerated. And so in that short little span of time there, they had become movie stars and were hobnobbing with all of these famous people and had seen the entire planet and had, you know, had received all this critical acclaim and critical backlash. And, you know, they're, they're experiencing all these things at a lightning pace. And whenever I see Meg with the cigarette and curled up in a ball in a corner, it just seems like she's trying to get away. She's just trying to make it stop for a second, you know, and uh, I, I think we would see that unfold to its logical conclusion in the years following this tour. Yeah, Emmett Malloy actually says that's the stuff that the band 
let me keep in there to tell the story because I think they realized this is real. Post this tour, they canceled their shows and made an announcement that Meg needed a break. Obviously, there was a lot going on, and certainly the film can lead you to your own theories. Where are they supposed to play after this? They go into the United States right after this. And then they cancel some shows in the States? or Lots of tour dates from September 13th to October 10th, including New Mexico, Texas, California, Arkansas, Washington, Idaho, Utah, Wyoming, South Dakota, North Dakota, Illinois, Hawaii, Nebraska. Wow. I'm reading The Hollywood Reporter here. Meg and Jack White won't be touring for the rest of 2007. Quote, they thank you for your for your understanding and well wishes, unquote, said a posting on the duo's website. This was a, a, due to Meg White suffering from acute anxiety and unable and her inability to travel at that time. That, uh, mm-hmm. That is crazy, and they all that got refunds. I would be so pissed. I mean, I get it. I they they needed it, and we should all be understanding and yada yada yada. But we're lucky we saw them when we did. Yeah, we caught them just before this happened too. I mean, we were in July. We we caught them in. So man, a couple months lucky. later, very lucky. Know. Anyway, yeah. So that's that stuff though. You know, it was kept in the film. A lot of people would think Jack would take it out, but he he didn't. To quote Emmett again, everybody thought about it long and hard. Jack looked at this film several times and would ask, am I coming off all right? Am I coming off as mean? And I understood where he was coming from. The relationship is about genuine but tough love. Everybody still perpetuates this thing. Are they brother and sister? Are they husband and wife? Watching this film, I think people are going to understand more about this band and get more than they ever have on the White Stripes and still get nothing at all. And I think that's the beauty of it. It's still questions. Everything's questions. One thing that, that leads to so very many questions is a is a very poignant scene that we have brought up throughout both episodes pri- prior to this uh, White Moon performance at the very end of the oh. documentary. Yeah, we've been um, bringing that up on the podcast pretty much since episode one. <laughs> it's powerful. <laughs> because it's, it left such an impact. Yeah. 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 It was um it was recorded after the Glace Bay celebration. You know, that that was the longest show of their career. It was two hours long, so it was they were already tired. They were emotional. To quote Emmett again, I didn't know it was going to turn out the way it did, but I lo- I wanted to have a scene after that show and the piano ended up being there. It was just a beautiful happenstance. It took on a whole different shape and color. There was nothing sad about that moment, but it was an intense moment. These two had been through a lot. Every deep relationship, whether it be brother or sister or husband and wife. Jack even comments on that scene, saying, It's a powerful scene and hard for me to watch and hard for Meg to watch. 
but I think there's so much about it that I can't even tell you about. It's beautiful. What I like about it is it goes above and beyond anything about the band or anything about the film itself. The whole film opens up and you forget what you even watched for the last 90 minutes. And it's the perfect way to end it. And I'm glad Emmett was able to catch something like that. Yeah, um, it made it made it in, it made it beyond just a documentary about a tour. It, it made it a good piece of filmmaking. Uh, yeah. It just it stuck sticks with you. It's there's tragedy to it. You don't know why she's crying, but yet you do. Like it's never outright said why she's crying, but it's yeah. pretty clear after watching the documentary why. And that's that comes down to good editing as well. Um, yeah. As you know, because it'd be very easy to lose that narrative. But the I think Emmett did a great job in. Um, in finding what the narrative was, not concocting it, but simply uncovering it, you know, for the purposes of the movie. Yeah, it's a nice little button at the end, at the hardest button to yeah. button, one might say. Um, <laughs> but it's funny you mentioned editing because right after, you know, after that they they do the one note show, but after the tour, mm-hmm. um, the editing process begins. You know, yeah. Emmett and the crew. Go back. Looks like the chief editor on it was uh, a fellow by the name of Tim Wheeler, who mm-hmm. helped Emmett compose that. And it looks like he's he's also got a hefty list of uh, directorial and mainly music laden projects, including work with Green Day and Selena Gomez and the Jonas Brothers, uh, etc. So they they had an expert on hand to help with the editing process. It looks like. Yeah, and during the editing process, Canada they kind of realized that Canada had the extra advantage of having its national colors be red uh, red and white, uh, which would ah, be used artistically. Yeah, that's right. It would be used artistically to Malloy's advantage uh, throughout the documentary, which he would set in mostly black and white and red hues. Pretty much the whole country shares that color scheme. Uh, speaking of which, you know, the, there's beautiful cinematography in the movie. I mean, it's uh, sometimes hard to separate the uh, still photographs that were taken by Autumn DeWilde mm-hmm. from what uh, Malloy was able, able to capture, but uh, Malloy, along with cinematographer Gilles Dunning, really did a beautiful job uh, in just capturing this feeling of freezing cold, yeah. <laughs> sort of moody isolation with bursts of joy intermittently sort of Inter, you know, is intermittently kind of popping up every now and again, but they really do. I mean, I, it's hard to divorce it from that image of them on the beach. That kind of sums everything up of Jack and Meg on that on that cold, cold beach. And Beautiful cinematography look, there, and they look perfectly at home there too. It's kind of interesting throughout yep. throughout the entire tour, in the entire documentary, in the entire you know photo book and all that stuff. They look kind of at home in Canada. It's cold, which Jack you know, notoriously records all his albums in the cold. Uh, he's already kind mm. of pale. He's it's the right, you know, snow is very white <laughs> and there's snow literally everywhere. Uh, I don't know. It just feels, yeah. it feels like their kind of atmosphere. Malloy jokes that it, it felt like the whole country was art directed for us. Uh, <laughs> and this was kind of the, the editing process was kind of the point of no return for the stripes because, you know, like we had said, how much are they going to actually show uh, Emmett's headset, you know, he left it open to Jack to to cut stuff out if need be. But uh, Malloy said, right from the first edit I made, uh, I made it a point to show Jack everything. And the good thing is uh, he was busy. So that gave me a lot of freedom. But he has, a, he has full approval. It's fun to talk about the film and have the role I played in it. But at the end of the day, it's, it's the White Stripes. It's not my film. We'll never know exactly how much they would have cut out. But 
they show pretty much everything warts and all yeah, maybe um, for a special edition dvd one day september 18th 2009 under great white northern lights is officially debuted to the public at the toronto international film festival or tiff it was in the vanguard section of the programming list we'll just say that's actually where Jack and Meg watched it for the first time all the way through. Really? First, yeah. Uh, we will have a first-hand account of that later in the episode from our third man this week, Gilles LeBlanc, who was uh, there as well. And mm-hmm. I guess watched with Jack and Meg for the first time, which is pretty cool. Uh, and and at the at the top of the show, uh, you all heard the – actually, that was the sound of the trailer – uh, for the film, which obviously preceded the movie, but the trailer captures some cool moments from the from the movie as well, and really highlights uh, highlights the musicality of the band and the and the sadness and wonder and weird humor that is a part of this movie. Yeah. Yep. And then directly after Jack does a press conference with Emmett Malloy, where he answers questions and tells a little bit more about the the story of it all. Mm. The it was. Uh, you know, well, very well received and was to have a release date for the actual product, uh, March 16th, 2010 in Canada and August 5th, 2010 in the United States. Hmm. And this was the most broadly packaged White Stripes release of all time. It had a CD separately. It had a DVD separately. It had a CD DVD combination. It had a Blu-ray it had a LP. It had a box set which included the CD, the DVD, the LP of the CD, a, a single of two of the live tracks, which were "Icky Thump" live and backed with the "Wheels on the Bus" from when he played in the Winnipeg bus. <laughs> awesome, awesome. The "Under Nova Scotian Lights" DVD, a hardcover photo book by Autumn DeWild, which Paul brought up a minute ago prints and custom artwork for everything all is inside a nice neat box and all designed by mr rob jones who who we talked to a couple episodes back about this yeah he and jack would share grammy win for for that yeah for best boxed or special limited edition package yeah uh but it was also up for a few other awards it was in the south by southwest film festival and uh it was up for an audience award there and Emmett Malloy was, was nominated as well as well as a uh, something called an SPH Docs Award for Sound and Vision, which is uh, which is pretty cool too. So this is getting a lot of critical recognition out there. Yeah, and South by Southwest was uh, actually the U.S. premiere March of 2010 at the South by Southwest Festival. Huh. J- Jack and Meg didn't show up for that one, did they? I don't think so. Because sure. Jack would have been touring with the Dead Weather at this time. Yeah, I don't I don't think they were the documentary and stuff was also nominated for uh, a grammy for best long form music video for for under great white northern lights but uh did not win but uh it was nominated at least interesting the album and everything was extremely well received it made u.s billboard 200 uh it was number 11 topped out at number 11 u.s top alternative albums for billboard uh number three u.s top rock albums for billboard number four uh Billboard Canadian albums, it reached number four. Reviews were all really, really positive. Vanity Fair had a buy it, steal it, skip it kind of system, and they rated it a buy it. AV Club gave it a B plus. Uh, MTV gave it a very good review. Pitchfork gave it 8.7 out of 10. 
Yeah, um, and the and the track listing on the on the album is really tight too. They they really picked a they pulled from a great selection of songs. Side A opens with "Let's Shake Hands," followed by "Black Math," "Little Ghost," "Blue Orchid," and "The Union Forever." And then the uh, the side B opens with "Ball and Biscuit," "Icky Thump," and "I'm Slowly Turning Into You" is the closer on that one. Side C opens with Jolene, followed by 300 Mile Per Hour, Torrential Outpour Blues, We're Gonna Be Friends, and I Just Don't Know What to Do With Myself. And then Side D opens with Prickly Thorn, Sweetly Worn, Fell in Love With a Girl, When I Hear My Name, and it ends with Seven Nation Army. So they're pulling from a lot of different White Stripes eras with this one while sort of leaning into the newer material which is good but it's it's a great very listenable live album a lot of live albums can be a little uh, you know they can wear on you a little bit after a while but this one is uh is quite listenable uh, start to finish yeah it's one of the very few live albums on my rotation
mastered by Andrew Mendelson, who masters a lot of Jack stuff too, mm-hmm. and mixed by Vance Powell. Both of those names are in the mix quite often. Pun. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So uh, with that, that's that's under Great White Northern Lights. We did it. Are we going to rate it, James? I think we're going to rate it, Paul. To the ratings! Do you want to explain our crazy rating system, Paul? Yes. Our rating system is out of three instead of your traditional ten, because we really like all of Jack's albums. That's kind of why we do this. But we rate it out of three, and uh, one is we like it, two is we love it, and three is it's one of our very favorites, or it is our favorite, or something like that. So that that's our rating system here, and we really cheat by adding a bunch of points and things like that. But James... Do you want to go first? We haven't done one of these in a good long while. Yeah. My God. Do you want to go first, James? I would love to. I have a very fond memory of receiving this package on Easter. I got both the LP and the CD-DVD set, and it was like the Best Buy exclusive of the CD-DVD set. Uh, this this has a lot of nostalgia for me as well. The yeah. documentary is fantastic. It was the first time we ever got a good look at the White Stripes. Like I said, this is one of the very few live albums in my you know rotation, my music rotation. It's such a good music documentary. It's probably my favorite music documentary ever, even more than the anthology, yeah. which... I think it's because it yeah. tells more of a story in a theatrical sort, sort of whimsical way rather than the very historical telling of what happened. And for that, I think I will be giving this a 2.5 out of 3 men. 2.5 out of 3 men. That's a, that's very good uh, scoring there from James. I am going to cheat a little bit. I, I feel like I can only properly evaluate and rate these things as... I'll do, I'm going to do them as separate entities, and then I'm going to do a combined one because I can't possibly... So, the documentary, I, I agree with you, James. I think it's my favorite music documentary. Um, it's about character, whereas a lot of music documentaries are very fact-based, you know. Uh, but I feel like the best documentaries focus on what all good writing is, which is just good character. Mm-hmm. And man, does this documentary have character in spades. It opened up an insight into Jack White and Meg White in in a way that we had never seen before and will never see again quite that way. So I have to give the documentary a three. Like, it's a solid three out of three. Can't do any better than it. Fantastic. The album itself, while I find it a very, very good White Stripes album, I very rarely go back to this one, purely because I don't tend to listen to a lot of live Stripes cuts. I don't know if that's just a personal thing. I I, I don't know. There's something about uh, the Stripes. Watching the Stripes live is one thing. Like, there's nothing like it. Uh, Watching them perform, experiencing them perform, experiencing Jack perform in general. But I don't often go back to a lot of White Stripes live albums. Uh, With that said, this is a particularly good one. So I would give this, like, a one and a half to two, just because I like it, but I don't really return to it all that much. 
documentaries all the way up here for me, and the the album's just is fine. You know, I like it. The packaging and all that that's completely separate. I love all of that, but just you know, for a pure listening experience, I'm not returning to it all that much. So I think the project as a whole, I give like a solid. 2.25 kind of splits the difference 2.25 something like that I think we're in the same ballpark well Paul this is unprecedented no it's not we've agreed it before in the past I think we're on the same yeah. page here well done good ratings yeah we're pretty much in agreement yeah well we did it James uh, you wanna let's kick it to our third band for this week what do you say let's kick it on over We'd like to welcome our third man this week, Gilles the Rock Thusiast. How's it going, Gilles? It's going great, guys. How about uh, you? Uh, it's fantastic over here. Weather's beautiful. Going very well. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Nice fall day. I, it's good. It's all good. I can't complain. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, I know this was uh, this was last minute getting it's all set up here. It was kind of quick, but we really appreciate it. Really cool of you to join us on the show today. Thank you. Uh, no problem. No problem. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, just apologies in advance if my ears are still ringing from uh, seeing Queens of the Stone Age last night. But uh, other than that, uh, excited to be here. Oh, nice. wow. That's awesome. How's Fertitta How- doing? Uh, Fertitta is great. I actually high-fived Dean Fertitta at a uh, Dead Weather show once uh, that they played a little club show here in Toronto. And uh, that's still <laughs> one of my hi- that's nice. still one of my highlights. So, uh, no, they were great. They were fantastic. Uh, they play a lot of new stuff off the, uh, off the new album, Villains, and uh, I love it. So, yeah, it was a great show. Great show. Very loud, though. <laughs> that's really, really cool. With the Skype lag, it sounded a little bit, instead of saying high-fived, it sounded a little bit like you said hired and fired Dean for. And boy, did I want to know that story. <laughs> what did you hire and fire Dean Fertitta for? <laughs> uh, no, if you need me to okay, enunciate, no, I don't think... <laughs> uh, it was high-fived. So, yeah. <laughs> it's just the Skype lag. You're all good on your end. But, um, well, that's, that's really awesome. I've never been a huge Queens of the Stone Age fan until this album. I really, really enjoyed it a great deal. So out there, all you folks, pick it up can now the reason we brought you here today is because we're discussing under great white northern lights for this episode and we're discussing the tour and we're also discussing the time the white stripes stopped in toronto in 2007 which i hear you giles were at I was, I was, I was, I was. And the uh, the big reason why I brought up Queens of the Stone Age was because it is actually at the same venue that uh, I saw the White Stripes in, in 2007. Um, yeah, actually, they played... Wow, nice. They played 2007, and they actually played two yeah, years were... earlier at the same venue, which uh, which is, I guess, kind of a at little... At the Molson unusual. Amphitheater? Uh, right? Correct. It's since been renamed, um, but yeah, it's the same, it's the same structure. Correct. The Molson Amphitheater. Uh, one of my yeah, favorite venues in the city. Now so. it's the Rick Moranis Memorial Theater. It should be. It really should be. You know, so they should name everything. Uh, they should name everything here after uh, SCTV characters, in my opinion. But <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Uh, so basically, you got to re-experience another uh, Jack White tangential thing. Uh, True. The day before we talk about this, which is pretty awesome. The Stripes show. When did you hear about it? 
How did you hear about it? Did you get tickets in advance? Did you go to the box office? How'd you get tickets to this? Uh, it's it's kind of an interesting story, and I, I'll try not to bore you too much with it. Um, it, it in 2007, I got to say, like the uh, it was before I really got onto Twitter, um, but I was still very much online. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, ma- making sure that I had all the information that I needed about uh, the Stripes because they really are, when it comes down to it, my favorite band of all time, and. Uh, I knew that the new album was obviously coming out, Icky Thump, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, the tour wasn't actually announced first, so I guess it leaked that they were playing the Ottawa Blues Fest that year, which mm. uh, is a uh, is a pretty fairly big multi-day festival. And Ottawa being about uh, four hours uh, east of Toronto, um, you know, very accessible for... I've been there many times. I've been to that festival. So when I heard that, those were my initial plans. I was like, I have to go see this, you know, because who knows what else is happening. Um, so that actually leaked first. So I was all ready to go to that with some friends. And, uh, you know, mm-hmm. then it, as it turned out, the tour was announced and there was all this backstory that, of course, you know, you guys would be familiar with about, you know, how they're going to play. Uh, they, were, they played all the, uh, the little towns in Canada. They did the whole uh, cross Canada tour. Actually, what's and kind of interesting with a bit of a tie in to myself is that uh, Jack obviously revealed that, you know, he has ties to um, Nova Scotia. Which is which yeah. is where my family is initially from. Oh, cool. So Glace Bay, where they ended up having the big anniversary show, that is not too far from where my parents were both born um, on Cape Breton Island, Nova Scotia. So I I always like to say I awesome. yeah. So I always like to say I don't have many regrets in life, but uh, one of those is still that uh, my wife and I did not make the effort to go out and see that particular show because from what I was. Told, told um you know it was just you know a night that you know you that people would never have forgotten because i guess people were who came to the venue and then didn't have tickets uh it was either the management or whoever they just let everybody in and everybody had just a great time and a great party and you know it's obviously if you've seen the uh uh the dvds and everything you know that they played like an incredible show for two and a half hours (laughs) you know the rest is kind of history yeah, um, but yeah, but uh, you know, as I, I guess as a consolation prize, I went to go see them again in uh, Toronto, and uh, it, it to <laughs> me, in my opinion, it was one of the better shows that I've ever seen. seen the stripes three times um you know I that's kind of uh small by comparison i guess but i had seen them on the uh on their previous album cycles anytime they had come to toronto in my opinion two more times than us though so you still beat oh us. well hey there you go 
um, you know. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, just the uh, the amount of different things that they did in terms of the set list, uh, you know, I think really made it for a memorable memorable show. And the fact that my wife also came with me, she doesn't get out to too many shows with myself, but you know, we we still talk about that show ten years later. You know, it was just such a great event for all of us, uh, all yeah. of us involved. So, you know, that's awesome. Just to touch on Nova Scotia for a moment, we have some family up there, and uh, well, they they vacation there regularly enough uh, where the, it's essentially they're up there. They have a cabin and whatnot. Anyway, so we were visiting. The the one and only time I've ever been to Nova Scotia was with you, James, in the summer of 2006, a year prior to when uh, this oh, tour was really? taking place. So we missed it by a year, uh, but it is beautiful <laughs> up there. And we were there for a wedding, actually. It was very scenic and lovely. But I digress. The Toronto show, so you had seen them two other cycles prior to this, so Elephant and Get Behind Me Satan. Correct. What, what would you say was a uh, key difference, or was there any detectable difference in their performance as opposed to the prior year and when you first saw them? Did they, did they strike you as more weathered, more mature, more energetic, less energetic? How, how did it how did it strike you, the difference? The uh, I remember somebody telling me well, I, how I was describing it to them uh, after I saw them. There's such, I mean, I don't have to tell you guys, there's such an energy to them anytime that they were live, um, you know, and that's, you know, one of the big, um, uh, the big drawing points to me uh, that I've always liked about them. But they literally, that Toronto show, they had their foot on the gas the entire, entire time. And yeah. the thing was, is that um, when you think about that whole, that whole tour, you know, I remember reading some kind of quote from Jack that said that, uh, you know, he purposely wanted to go for smaller venues um, mm-hmm. because, you know, because of how intimate the feel was and, you know, the shows and it would end up being more special because, you know, of the smaller audience and everybody would be more involved. So I was actually kind of worried about that having them come back to the amphitheater, which is, you know, well, if the lawns are sold out and everything, it's about a 16,000 person venue. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. But yeah, just the energy that was in there was just so... Like electric is not I, that's cheesy and that's cliche, but electric was just it was just the word. It was just it was absolutely crazy, especially on little things like it, it seems like they were really appealing towards the fans as well for some of the things that they did do. I don't know if you guys got, got a chance to catch the video that I sent, but they played fell in love with a girl. And, of course, they hadn't been playing the full version for quite a while. They had been doing more of the slowed down kind of version sure. that I had actually yeah. seen them on the earlier tour. They actually started that. Uh, started that with the slow and then they went to the fast version like three times faster than it was usually um, and just I lost my mind I really thought I was going to have an aneurysm because I <laughs> I'd been waiting to hear that it was so amazing and then they followed that up with Ball and Biscuit it was just like it's crazy how you know good and high energy that show was
And so the uh, point that I was trying to make is that uh, whoever took that video, um, uh, first of all, I'd like to shake their hand because I still watch <laughs> that. You know, I stay, they, it's like three times a day I watch that video. But uh, how they pan around the uh, the amphitheater uh, to show just people's reactions and to come back to just at the right time when Jack uh, starts in with the uh, uh, with the fast part. It's just it's really good. And it really gets a sense of, you know, how big the crowd was and how into it really everybody was. And that honestly just made it uh, really special. So Yeah. Awesome. And it's one of the biggest shows they played in Canada. I mean, most of them were, as you said, you know, smaller venues. I mean, even before that, some of the bigger ones were, you know, 3,000 people um, as opposed to, you know, 16,000. Um, yeah. we, we saw him under similar circumstances on the same tour, just not the Canada leg of it, obviously. Uh, we saw him at Madison Square Garden in New York uh, for the Icky Thump tour. And like you nice. said, it with, gr- with Grinderman, with Grinderman opening. Yes, right? yes, yes. Uh, and Very cool. we had no idea who that was. No. I still, <laughs> no, I still sure barely do. <laughs> oh, really? Um, yeah. Is that Nick Cave's band? It's basically Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Okay. It's most of the members, but it's more of a, uh, like a garage rock kind of, you know, back to basics, you know, very white stripes in a lot of ways with that bluesy kind of tinge as opposed to his more artsy stuff with uh, the Bad Seeds. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. I'm familiar enough with Nick Cave to know what the sound is going to be like. When I okay. saw him, I was 17. And so I, I hadn't really gotten a, a learning about Nick Cave quite yet. Uh, I hadn't gone to college gotcha. and, and gotten my... Uh, <laughs> I, however, have no excuse. Uh, I was a grown-ass man. Yeah, um, I'm still a kid the, at heart, so you know. <laughs> but the atmosphere, like you said, uh, even in that that amphitheater kind of environment, had a strange electricity to it, and, and almost felt like you know a smaller venue. Everybody seemed to be enjoying it on the same level as us. Uh, even a couple who was sitting next to us came there because they had heard Seven Nation Army and heard he was in the area, so they bought tickets, and they were like, "He's wow. pretty good." And, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so I have a question. Did the Raconteurs visit Toronto the year prior? Oh, yes, 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 yes. Uh, actually, they played a festival. Yeah, it was kind of it was kind of interesting. So that cycle before, so 2005, on the, uh, sorry, the Get Behind Me Satan tour, it was the Greenhorns that opened. Wow, um, that's awesome. It was the Greenhorns that opened. I don't know if it was the same for all venues. So what was weird is that, you know, and sorry if I'm rambling a little bit, feel free to stop no, me, but uh, I'll, I'll never forget, I, I won't forget that I, on the way to the show that uh, I was listening to a radio interview on our modern rock station and they were actually interviewing Brendan Benson. And it was it was so bizarre. So it's like the interviewer was asking him, like, you know, oh, are you in town? Is what's going on? You know, da 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 da. So the interviewer knew exactly who he was. He was talking about him about different projects. He didn't say anything. He didn't breathe anything about uh, obviously what was to come in a couple of years. But in my mind, I'm thinking, oh well, the White Stripes are going to invite him out. They're going to play good to me. They're going to, you know, they're going to something's going to happen. And then there was really nothing. Greenhorns were great. (laughs) I mean, any. (laughs) Any number of the green 
Einhorns could have come on to do some of those Loretta songs. I mean, it could have been anything. Yeah, of at course, that point. yeah, exactly. Anything could have happened, but I mean, you know, they kind of kept it. Uh, they kind of kept it all separate. You know, and then yeah, didn't hear anything obviously until the year after. But I always kept that in the back of my mind that you know, like the seeds of that were kind of uh, were kind of all brewing. You know, I know that uh, Jack spent a lot of time in the uh, in the Toronto area. He actually grew. It, well, he actually spent some time. Uh, I, I found out he lived with his sister in the same sort of suburb that I grew up in. Oh, wow. You know, as uh, and we're, we're about the same age. I'm a, I'm a couple of years older than him. But, uh, you know, so it's, it's it's interesting to kind of think that knowing that story, obviously the roots of the raconteurs happen in Detroit. But, you know, knowing that, you know, that incident happened, you know, like how much more gestation would have been, uh, you know, sure. that Toronto could lay claim to. So I always thought right. that was pretty cool. But uh, but yeah, they played a uh, they played a festival. Yeah, Vir- um, it looks like it was the Virgin Festival on correct, September 10th, it, and that was the first show after the famous MTV Video Music Awards that we talked about yes. at length, where they uh, were basically the hosts of that yeah. um, alongside Jack Black. They were like the uh, the the house band. Exactly. Exactly. All of that Jack Black Jack White banter written by Dan Harmon. No. Really? Wow. Yeah. Really? That's cool. Yeah, I mean Jack Black possibly wrote some of it himself, but the the entire show was scripted by or uh, partially scripted by Why Dan. I am going to oh, wow, ask cool. him about that. Cool. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. I just the only thing I can really remember for that is that uh, he said something. Uh, Jack Black tried to do a joke about you know, oh, we're the same color, just yeah. just yeah. different or something like that. I, yeah, re- yeah. I remember distinctly that, and that they played a couple of Velvet yes. Underground songs. White, I think. White uh, light. Yes. I remember. yes white. Yeah, that was yeah. that was very cool like, yeah. how they did that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so, but uh, unfortunately, I had to miss that event because my daughter's birthday is on September 11th. Uh, um, and we were actually we were actually celebrating it uh, a day early, so uh, that year. So I actually missed uh, that event, but uh, we did. From what I remember, it was webcast. It was one of the first concerts to actually be webcast uh, that I can remember seeing. So uh, I did catch yeah. a little bit of it. But I was told by you know friends that they were supposed to play a club date around the same time, but that never really happened. But I did catch them on the uh, on Consolos of the Lonely Tour, which was. Uh, <laughs> Fantastic. So. Nice. Yeah. So aside from the the experience you had, uh, which I do want to go into a little bit more at the Molson Amphitheater, did you hear any rumors about the YMCA show that they were pulling off, the White Stripes, that is? Unfortunately, I'm not going to get into a huge story about uh, what I was going through at that time. Where it's, it's nothing terribly bad. It was just I knew about the secret shows that were happening, and if I mm-hmm. had the Forethought, I guess if is a word I was going to use, I would have taken the day off and I would have taken the day, I would have taken the day off and like, you know, planned it more. Um, you know what I mean? Started following the little room yep. and, you know, uh, it would have been all on it. But uh, no, unfortunately I was like, I knew it was going to happen. And actually my, my wife and I were having like almost like little games where we were trying to not necessarily predict the Toronto, where the Toronto one was, but it was almost like we were doing, you know, when you like cut things out of the newspaper for like, you know, a scrapbook. Um, <laughs> we were almost like doing this digital kind of scrapbook of, you know, the tour 
lore that was going on, you know, all the cool little places that they were playing on in terms of the secret shows. So I did, it was, I think, a couple of years ago, I actually did go to that YMCA. Uh, I had to go to an event there. And, mm. you know, I was trying to, like, kind of, like, look around to see if there were any kind of, like, remnants of, uh, you know, of uh, the <laughs> fact that they were here and this is where they played. So uh, just to go, because just to go back to what you were talking about earlier about visiting Nova Scotia, because my family is there, we've gone every couple of years. So we actually went the year after we went in 2008, gotcha, and we made it a point to actually visit um, Halifax. We didn't get up to Glace Bay, mm-hmm. but we did actually visit Halifax. So we actually went to the pool hall <laughs> where they played. Oh, nice! And I guess the oh yeah, so I guess the person who had owned it put up all these pictures all over the bar you know as mementos and i guess uh, i guess it was ben blackwell uh he was saying he said someone connected really connected to jack came by like shortly afterwards to like take photos and you know document it all like you know that they were there and everything so awesome. so just to be in there like we didn't play pool or anything we just literally came in for like five minutes to just see <laughs> yeah you know, this is where they played and everything i want to go to the wildcat cafe in Yellowknife pretty much just because the white stripes because, played there yeah. uh <laughs> Uh, and also to visit the Yukon and all that stuff. That'd be great, too. But, sure, sure, yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, you know, there's some White Stripes connections. I'm going to try and make my way up there if I can make it. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, Absolutely. <laughs> I'm with you. Yeah. <laughs> when you were saying that you were cutting out newspaper clippings, the first thought in my head is, and I don't know if you watch Always Sunny in Philadelphia, but uh, was Charlie Day with the newspaper and the wires connecting things, and he's trying to explain, like, <laughs> they're going to be here, it's going to be here. Yeah, exactly, uh, so, exactly. Yeah. Thinking about that a little, yeah, yeah, that, that kind of idea. So, you know, but just to kind of chronicle it. But that's what was great about when the uh, the whole DVD and box set kind of came out, you know, is that it really captured it nicely, all the yeah. things that they did. And it was funny. So I was at that show, obviously. And then, uh, so I had bought a shirt. Well, my wife actually bought me a shirt. And so I wore it like a week or so afterwards, or a couple of weeks afterwards to, to work, like on a casual Friday or whatever. And there was a, a, young, a young woman there who I never really talked to wasn't in the same department or whatever but we were doing some kind of um, team meeting and uh, she came up to me afterwards and she's like she's like well which, how many shows did you go to you know, and she was like right. so and she had said that she had said that she went to the the london secret show which was at the flour mill which i have seen videos of and like they've played they played yeah. blue stuff like stop breaking down and you know and so i was just like okay you are my new best friend and, you know, so it was like it was funny we had this little like kind of like secret between us that only we knew so yeah, yeah. there's just a... very cool things like that i love doing those kind of interactions with people i i love doing that at work too like everyone i like i have like a little third man thing in my cube just to just on the off chance it'll attract the gaze of or <laughs> yeah, you know, like a bat of, signal of somebody yeah, else or exactly and there's somebody else in my building from a different company in the building who wears a third man shirt every now and again and I'm just like ah yep we're right we're here yep exactly the secret wink you know so <laughs> yeah no, nothing like that's happened to me quite yet although um I did have some of the podcast stuff open at work I was listening to uh, testing on a, an episode a coworker of mine who sits right next to me she leaned over and she saw like the logo. And she's like, "That looks like Jack White's thing." I'm like, oh yeah." She's like, "Yeah, I like Seven Nation Army." I'm like, All right. That's it's a start. It's, it's a good. start. It's Come fun. on, it's a start. Yeah, yeah. start somewhere. Fast forwarding a little bit, uh, were you in the in town for the Toronto Film Festival when Under Great White Northern Lights uh, was premiered? Oh, I could tell you a story about that. Uh, yes, oh, yes. Please do. Um, yeah. Okay. How much? 
<laughs> I guess this is a podcast you, you could edit, I guess. So, yes, knew that Under Great White Lights was coming. Very excited to go see it. Toronto Film Festival is actually going on right now. You know, so oh, wow. it's uh, it's a couple of years, obviously, it's a couple of years afterwards. It is insane in Toronto. So there is so much going on, you know. So for us, leaving yesterday was, you know, it took us about half an hour, an hour longer than it normally would have because of just all the traffic mm-hmm. that's in the area. I had gone to uh, film festival movies before, but this was my first experience in, in terms of, you know, like I'm going to go line up for tickets and specifically get to, you know, go to go see uh, a specific show. People from around here will tell you how, like, it's a legendarily bad process to try to get tickets. It's, you know, like, you always get shut out of what you want to see. All I knew is that it was under my advisement that I should line up as early as possible to get the tickets that I want. I live mm-hmm. about an hour north of the city, but, you know, most of the jobs that I've been in, I've had to work downtown. I actually left at, like, 5 o'clock in the morning, my time, to get to the lineup mm-hmm. at about 6 o'clock in the morning. And it was already, you know, like, 30 people deep. So, <laughs> uh, quite a few, quite, yeah, yeah, quite a few people deep. And I actually had a meeting at 9 o'clock that I really had to be to. <laughs> you know, and so the lineup kept going on. It's like it was looking like, you know, I'm not going to make my meeting. So I was actually texting my supervisor at the time going like, really sorry, but, you know, I'm actually doing something important here. You know, I, I didn't actually ever tell him that it was for lining up for TIFF tickets. But anyway, uh, so I, get, I finally get to the I finally get to the front of the line. And, you know, so I'm like, I only want one movie. I want to go see, I want to go see, you know. Oh, sorry. I jumped the gun a little bit. That's all right. I'm actually referring to it might get loud. Ah. ah, so this is my story is about it might get loud, but I did see Under Great Light White. No, that's okay. I did see Under Great White Lights when it uh, when it first premiered at the TIFF Festival. But this story is actually about it might get loud, which was uh, two thousand eight, I believe. So around the same kind of time frame. So sorry about that. So I get to the front of the line. It's actually an even better story. So I get to the front of the line, and all I want to do is get my tickets to it might get loud. So what they usually do at, for, for TIFF is they'll have the premiere screening, and then they'll have a couple of supplemental screenings afterwards. They're like, okay, well, what show do you want? And I said, well, I wanted tickets to the premiere. Unfortunately, uh, they said no. You know, there's only one ticket left. So do you want it or would you rather go to, you know, the second showing? Wanting to, of course, be with my wife and have her there with me. I said, no, that's fine. I'll go to the second showing. You know, that's that's fine. As it turned out, you know, the premiere is where, you know, everybody is. Jack White was obviously there with The Edge, with Jimmy Page, you know, two people who you might have heard of, you know. And uh, the the director and all the producers were there and everything. And they did a whole Q&A afterwards. But the even better part of the story is, is that going back to the uh, to the Virgin Festival, the night that the movie premiered in 2008, the Virgin Festival was uh, was taking place. And so the point that I was trying to get at is that even though there's the film festival going on, there's all sorts of things that are going on in Toronto, including, you know, the Virgin Festival, TIFF, you know, all these all these sort of events. So the premiere happens and the Virgin Festival is going on as well. I'm going to the Virgin Festival on the Saturday because I wanted to see Foo Fighters. And so I'm talking to uh, a person at work, a sales manager, and they were talking about how they had tickets to this TIFF party the night before. 
And uh, I was like, oh, yeah, okay, well, you know, that, I'm sure that was great for you and everything. He's like, oh, yeah, as it turns out, I couldn't go. Um, you know, he goes, yeah, Jones, I didn't realize that you liked music. You probably would have would have loved to have gone to this uh, this party, this after party. And I'm like, well, who is it for? It's like, ah, this movie, this documentary, it might get loud, you know? Like, I don't know, like these, uh, you know, I heard, you've heard of The Edge before and Led Zeppelin, you know? I guess you would have had some fun or whatever. So uh, so I do have, I would have an unused ticket for the it might get loud uh, after party that uh, uh, I could have been at um, uh, yeah, so there you it's, go. that's brutal it's a hell of a collectible but it's unused <laughs> it is oh unused God. it is unused but uh, as my wife uh, as my wife likes to say it's almost better that I probably wasn't there because I probably would have gone up to Jack and probably got arrested and, <laughs> you know, just by saying just by saying how awesome you are and you know how uh, how much you how yeah. much you and your music have meant to me. So um, I want to put you in a little room. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Jack, uh, instantly files for uh, restraining order. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. I'm sure there is a restraining order against me somewhere. So, but uh, but that's okay. Um, yeah, no. But I did see. I we did actually go. My wife and I did actually go to the uh, to the under Great White Thorn and Lights premiere when it did happen in Toronto. And while it was a very cool event... Welcome to the world premiere of the White Stripes under Great White Northern Lights. The feature documentary, The White Stripes Under the Great White Northern Lights, is tonight's world premiere. It's directed by Emmett Malloy, who's famous for countless rock videos. This film follows the inner circle of rockers Jack White and Meg White on their cross-Canada tour. Thank you all for coming. It's nice to finally play this thing to an audience. It's been a uh, long time in the making. It was about two years ago that uh, I joined Jack and Meg out on the road. And uh, if you guys are like me and fans of the band, uh, you know, I've been waiting for something like this for some time. Meg and I have a lot of Canadian blood relatives out here in Nova Scotia. A lot of them, maybe you've even seen play. Ashley McIsaac, Buddy McMaster, Natalie McMaster. And uh, it was nice to, uh, to uh, end up our 10th anniversary in Nova Scotia and play there and film that for this film. Um, but I can't compare any of those shows. It's apples and oranges to playing on a Winnipeg bus. Uh, <laughs> I really thought that they were going to uh, perform afterwards, you know, mm -hmm. but, and that didn't end up happening. So, and as it turned out, it was a bit of the swan song because they, uh, of course, they ended up uh, announcing their breakup a year later. So yeah. it was a little bit tearful, but, uh, but yeah, just the experience of being kind of in the same building as them and we're all watching this movie together and reliving all these moments that we sort of gone through was a pretty cool experience as well. So, and I don't know if you remember, uh, Jack was up on the stage for a while and he did kind of replicated the uh, the Kanye West moment with uh, Taylor Swift from, uh, yeah. from a little bit earlier <laughs> yeah with the I'm gonna let you finish you know so that was that was pretty funny there too so is that the last time that Jack and Meg were in public together as the White Stripes I think it might have been uh, no I think Conan Conan I have the Conan one would have technically well, been when was the Conan one? No, this would this would have been this would have been the year after. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken. Now I have heard rumors that we talk about connections. You two had just played. See, it's all it's all related. <laughs> you two you two had just played Toronto a couple of days earlier. I don't want to say I have it on good authority, but I have heard rumors that there was an after party for them the day after uh, Under Great White Northern Lights premiered at a little bar in Toronto. Hmm. And apparently the White Stripes played there. Like it was like so that mm. so if I ever did interview Jack White yeah. and trust me I've asked I've asked before but you know that would be one <laughs> yeah. of my questions to just kind of confirm you know all these 
things that I've heard about Toronto and your connection to Toronto, would that have actually been the last ever White Stripes performance? It's funny you say that because right around that time, I mean, we know that they were cutting new music. I mean, we know that. They said that yeah, in right? interviews. Yeah. So I, I don't want to say it would make like sense. Like at the same exact right. time. But I, I don't yeah. want to say it would make sense. It would, it would be... It would, but it would make total sense. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it, was, it would be really interesting. Reading interviews about the premiere of Under Great White Northern Lights, like Pitchfork confirms that Jack was working on a new White Stripes album, huh. and a year later they would break right. up. So it's it's so odd to me the timing of all this yeah. stuff all happening then. But it would be amazing to get any kind of confirmation that they were at that show that that you know, bar show. Exactly. Um, I feel like somebody would have recorded it. No, <laughs> you know what, you know what I've looked, I've asked people what's white swirl got to say about and it. I, and I try <laughs> and I tried, you know, if, uh, if it makes sense, the, uh, well, if you want to investigate for yourselves, you know, try to pick up my trail, the, uh, the bar at the time would have been called the hideout on queen, okay. on queen in Toronto. Yeah. Wow. Queen street. In what an, a, good, yeah. Good what, a, so. what an appropriately titled uh, venue for that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the hideout. It, well, but then um, again, this is just hearsay and rumors, so... Right, yeah. We're not confirming anything. Spelt with a U, of course. <laughs> I, I feel you with the, uh, oh, maybe I think they're going to perform. Oh, I think they're going to... And then they don't. I had a moment like that literally two days ago where I went to go see the Muppets at the Hollywood Bowl, and I was... And I had seen that day that Jack White was in L.A. in his Instagram, and I was like... Oh man, he knows the Muppets. Oh, is he gonna come out at the end here? They have celebrities. He was on the show. There was a forty-five for Christ's sake. He could be here. And then, of course, it didn't happen. They dragged out Paul Williams instead. No. I was like, ah, oh, I got the coked oh, out little guy. Ah. <laughs> Everyone loves Paul Williams. Uh, no offense fantastic. intended to Mr. Paul Williams. I love him very dearly. He recognized Kermit on the street and knew he was able to drive. He didn't know he was able to drive, so you know. You could drive, man. He's best friends with Beaker. That's exactly. So yeah, that was a fun. That was a fun episode. So. Um, it was. It was good. Paul, uh, do you have any other any other? Queries? I'm good. This was very. All this right. is awesome. This is really really cool to talk to you, Gilles. No, this is this is great. Like I mean, I touched on it earlier. I just love interacting with fellow fans and just sort of spreading that enthusiasm that uh, you know we all share a lot of us for uh for certain bands and it's not like the white stripes is exclusive to any kind of those feelings but i feel that they're 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 actually pretty strong you know with fans who are of the band and who know of them you know we all kind of have those shared experiences so to be able to uh you know relive those is uh is just fantastic for me so thank you guys it's our pleasure well yeah that's the reason we're doing this so yeah we appreciate you coming on and thank you so much again do you have any shout outs or uh plugs you want to put in not so much for myself, I mean, unless, you know, Jack does listen to this podcast, which I'm sure he probably does uh, secretly. Um, <laughs> you know, and, God, uh, he's like, who the fuck is Carl Butterball? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think you guys have a great, I think you guys honestly have a great concept uh, in terms of a podcast, having a third man on. I, I really think that that's pretty cool. Yeah, no, just keep up the great work in terms of that. You never know what that guy, what he's going to be doing, uh, what his next project is going to be. You mentioned LA before, like, he, we know he's working on a new album, so... And he's here, yeah. This may not be the last time we talk, and there'll be a whole new set of memories to create. That's my only real hope, is to uh, is to carry on with that. Yeah, in terms of a personal plug, I'll be tweeting about it at uh, Rockthusiast, and uh, that's my 
that's a bit of my handle. So uh, yeah, I just think it's really great that you guys do your work and uh, the group where I kind of found you guys, the Jack White uh, Thinking Persons group. I think is I think that's really cool that there are things like this that exist that uh, other fans are able to talk to talk about it with each other. So shout outs all around, all good. Well, thank you very much. Oh, what a heartfelt way to to end this interview. So I'm, I'm getting all uh, tingly here so saying that. <laughs> no, it's nice. I I thank you so much, and uh, let's get back to the show. I learned so much. We crammed it all in, Paul. I can't believe we crammed the whole thing. I I can't believe it either. Now, you know, we would like to uh, give some shout-outs as we do at the end of our episodes here. And we would like to first give a special shout-out to uh, Jacob Gerlinghouse uh, for leaving us such a wonderful five-star review on uh, iTunes. If y'all haven't gone onto iTunes and rate, uh, reviewed, and subscribed, it really does help. And the review that, that was left by Jacob uh, Gerlinghouse was just so sweet, and we really, really appreciate it, uh, Jacob. So thank you very much. If you want to go on there and help us out a little bit, just rate, review, and subscribe. It would just be it would just be nice. I know we normally do other stuff first, but I just wanted to lead with this, James. Is that okay That's with you? fine. It would just be the tops. We would also like to give a shout-out to some new listeners to the show, people who are liking and sharing and tweeting and all that stuff. And this week, we're going to give a, an all-Tumblr edition of shout-outs. Yes, we are. Yeah. Because, you know what? We constantly just ignore Tumblr, and people are following us on there and there's a lot of hilarious names of different people's blogs that follow us on tumblr that i think are just excellent Uh, such as sparkles mccheesy thank you sparkles (laughs) uh sparkles mccheesy i hope to god that one day you'll attain your dream of becoming the latest mcdonald's craze we'd also like to thank little wiccan feminist thank you yeah you're the black bells exactly congratulations on the big hat we'd like to thank grapevine mango peaches and limes (laughs) (laughs) uh so it's possible that was all one word it's possible it's grapevine man go peaches and limes it's possible. Probably. But not probable. Yeah. Yeah. The next one on this list here is a really great one, too. We got Misha Mutt. Love me some Misha Mutt. Uh, you love me some Misha Mutt? <laughs> I would also like to thank Surreal Theory for your support. Thank you, Surreal Theory. James, do you have any Surreal Theories you want to share with us? Yeah. I have a Surreal Theory that Bruce Banner is the Hulk. I would also like to thank Pizza Brad, or Pizza Brad, if you say it fast enough. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure he loves either Pita Bread or Pizza Bread. Thank you to Clarabella Skinny Jim. <laughs> Went a little Santa on that one. <laughs> Thanks, Clarabella Skinny Jim. Thank you yep. to Dead Leaves and the Dirty Graham. Pretty good Love name. It. It's a very good name. Yep. I like that one. It's got a uh, it's got a white stripes flavor, so it, it's yeah. This next one's got a real white stripes flavor too. It's white stripes Lazaretto, so a little on the nose. Thank you to Die Music Labor <laughs> <laughs> or Die Music Labor. The music work or something. I don't know, but anyway, all of that's very nice. All these all these pleasant people, James. And we also have returning guests, people who are listening to the show week in week out. We have Kate McCoy, the Bones of the Operation. We've got. Jeremy Riles, keeping us on the rails. My oh me, we've got me oh my. We've got Andre Ice Cold Lyman. We've got, uh, who's that over there, James? I think that's, oh, that's Eileen Corsano. We see you over there, Eileen. Oh, 
Ah, I see, Eileen. We've got Callie Durga, our third woman in spirit every week. And we've got Adrian King, the punk rock queen, the Red Red Rain Prosper, Amy Hart, the heart of the operation, uh, LOL 2.0. <laughs> very, very funny. We've got Eric Andrew Dotson, who's is over here. And we've got David Poe, Poe, Poe. We've got S.A. Franco, still confusing, and Yvette Wilkins. We're Wilkins on Sunshine. We're just going to let that stick. So thank you all for listening to our show. Thank you. If you'd like to be one of those people that we uh, say funny names to or dance uh, some kind of nice little Poe-based marimba, <laughs> you could saunter on down to Facebook Town and uh, find us on Facebook.com slash Third Men. You could tweet at us at Twitter.com and use our handle at Third Men Cast, Paul. It's, it's, uh, the, the website there is Twitter.com. You can go to Tumblr mm-hmm. and be one of those, uh, one of those all Tumblr edition uh, shoutouts, and that's ThirdMenPodcast.tumblr.com. You could press our words at WordPress.com thethirdmen.wordpress.com you can email us thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com you could uh, also mm-hmm. spreak to us on our Spreaker page <laughs> <laughs> and you could go to Spreaker S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R and that's the iHeartRadio podcasting website and you could search the third men on there feel free to search us on youtube we do occasionally some visualizers or little short skits or whatnot james did a very funny one this week about the potato that went to space oh thank Uh, you and it's an animation that james animated and you should all go watch it because it's very funny oh thank you and it's it features paul verhaig a very nice gentleman who we we interviewed he helped with the icarus craft so uh, you can go on there and find that you could rate, review, and subscribe to our mm-hmm. show on iTunes. All the ratings and reviews, like Paul said earlier in the show, they do help and they make me feel better. So please put a smile on my face. Yep. And if you have any questions, listener questions, please send those to us as well. You can do that on really any platform. You want to email, Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, just uh, shoot those on over. We'll do another listener questions episode eventually. We'd like to thank Sam Kubert and Tom Valenti for the help in the recording of our theme song, We're the Third Men. We'd also like to thank Susanna Roundtree for the intro and outro of our program. And we'd also like to thank our third man for this week, Gilles LeBlanc. Gilles, thank you so much. You were wonderful on the show. Fantastic. Thank you, Gilles. You were great. And Paul, I think I'll be looking for a home in the Yukon cornelius this time yeah james is gonna slice yukon cornelius open and and sleep in him like a tauntaun smells better on the inside (laughs) for one it's the inverse actually the yukon cornelius smells awful on the outside but his intestines smell like a delightful potpourri Uh, i would be looking for a home in a decapitated herbie (laughs) but i don't want to make toys uh yeah we'll see you bye For more information or to contact the show, visit thethirdmen.wordpress.com or email at thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at thirdmencast on Twitter and search The Third Men on Facebook. See you next time.
I've got Canada in my pocket. A little bit Sorry? You lost me or I'm here? There you are. You're back. Hello? You're good. Uh, I'm good. I'm back? You're back. Okay. I am just, I would like to just let you know, Terhampston or whatever your name is, that um, I was correct and pulled completely out of thin air that I remembered that the is, is die in German. Uh, and so I would just like to take a moment to recognize that even though I don't, I know no German. Now they don't serve popcorn at this festival. They only serve live uh, caribou. They must be alive, and you must hear it as you eat, and you must smother it in syrup. Yes. The, the 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 gentleman who is carving the caribou is carving it from a traditional gyro stand. Uh, the caribou is just twirling atop the gyro stand. Ah, I'm just gonna rectify. Uh, it wasn't a triple screw up. It was a daily double. <laughs> all right. Well, we're getting that. I'm editing this all. He works all night and day. And I would like you to chew it up and regurgitate it into my mouth like a baby bird swank. Like we used to do back home. A little bit of history. I only went, James, I'm uh, confession time. I only went through and picked out the funny ones. Fine. Um, I can only imagine what type of mystery meat will be on your patty. That sounds way dirtier than I wanted it yeah. to. Yeah. Paul, did I do the right yes. thing? Did you do the Oh, you heard that. Did I do the right thing? No. I think Paul no, said I, no. <laughs> did who do the right thing? About what? I think he's saying you did the very wrong thing and you should Who's taking Genesis care on no one's authority? I feel like that you're making things up. <laughs> um, no, he's saying... Paul, you have experience. Is that good? His thumbs up, yes. he's saying, is the Roman tradition of saying execute them. <laughs> so he's saying to execute them. Kill them. I'm not being mean. <laughs> good. It's 10 p.m. And you haven't started recording. Why is that? Shame on you. Cool again. Sure, you'll all agree. Perhaps it would help. Perhaps it would uh, help me make my decision if I knew what Packrat was, aside from the biblical reference. Paul wishes to know in the biblical sense, Packrat. Just so you know, just so you know that you did use that quote already in the episode. Did I? Well, yes. I'll chop it up to quote Jack again. I don't know what his actual quote about Einstein is. It's something along those lines. But let's make it that. Oh, Canada, our home and native land, true patriot love, in all thy sons command, with growing hearts we see thee rise, the true and strong and free.
From far and wide, O Canada, we stand on guard for thee. From far and wide, O Canada, we stand on guard for thee. God keep our land glorious and free. O Canada, we stand on guard for